The message I have today is called, Which Side Are You On? And I felt like this is a question that we are continually asked all the time in our culture these days. Which side are you on? On, what, on this issue? And it's almost like this endless list of issues that you can't possibly have the time to research to know which side you're on all the time. And it's like, so this question being posed to us in a context of our culture, and I want to look at some kind of biblical approach to dealing with that or talking about it or how we should maybe engage as Christian people. Because as Christian people, we are warriors. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but even like the last song we were just singing, this is how I fight our bat- my battles, you know. This is like war- warrior-type language. The Bible's full of this. The Bible's got plenty of examples. Of the two main Bible characters, like well, characters is a weird word, but you understand what I mean, um, <laughs> that I really resonate with are Joshua and David, both of which would be classified as warriors. They fought a lot of battles, and they did a lot of fighting. And when we sing a song like, this is how we fight our battles, you know, we're not, you know, um, this can go in several different weird ways, you know, because what, what do we mean by fighting battles? What do we mean by being warriors? And what do we mean by any of, how are we supposed to engage as warriors and battle um, as Christian people? And I want to just start by reading this. This is Paul writing in Ephesians 6. This is kind of famous Bible stuff here. It's called the armor of God. And again, armor being a battle and warrior type uh, framework he's working with here. And it starts with this in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and mighty in, pow- in his power. Or, wait, hold on. <laughs> Let me try again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done, every, after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with, the, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which is with, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So, the, so God is calling us to be warriors, not to be passive people. We're not singing, this is it. What's going on in my life or anything else going around? This is how I stick my head in the sand or whatever. This is how I'm a pushover all the time. You know, we're fighting battles here, but what are these battles and how are we supposed to fight them? Okay? Because it's obvious that God has battles for us to fight. And the world wants us to pick sides. They want us to pick sides about everything and they want us to find other people and like and and our culture is definitely exasperating this. I mean online I was listening to the radio this week and I heard a um they were talking about the effect that certain online communities like online communities are so great because you know if you're into like something really random like sea glass, for example <laughs> You can find an online community of people that care a lot about that and probably care a lot more than you do about it, which is interesting, and find out a lot of stuff about them. This is inane and just is fine. But if you start to get to some other issues, you can start finding communities online that don't 
function exactly the same way. And they were talking about these sorts of groups and how they've studied and groups tend to form around, they create an environment, they said, of anger, hatred, and self-righteousness, this kind of combination of three things. And if you remember last week when we talked about McCall talking to David who had, you know, she said embarrassed himself before the Ark of the Covenant and she despised him. So it's hating somebody but also looking down on them. This is very bad for culture, very bad for us. It's, it's not compatible with Christian faith, but we're almost called to it by our culture all the time. Jonathan Haidt is a psychologist um, who wrote that book, The Coddling of the American Mind, that Pastor Jeff and I referred to last year. He says this, social media essentially gives a megaphone to the extreme. So it's very hard to know what most people really think. People on the left see what they want to see, and people on the right see what they want to see. So we're kind of stuck in these places where we're reinforced into these groups that tend to promote, again, unfettered in just the, the world, anger, self-righteousness, and hatred. And so we're learning, our culture is forming us into a heart of despising other people. Now, who those other people are depends on who you are and what you're doing and all these sorts of things. But that's the, by my, this is my, you know, my assessment. By my assessment, culture is moving in that direction. So if you're not actively trying to not do that, you're going along with it. And you're being, you've been, you're being formed in the image of despising things. You know, hatred, anger, self-righteousness, this type of thing. That's just where it's going to lead you. This is what the enemy is up to. And by enemy, I mean Satan. And by Satan, I don't mean just disembodied evil, but actually um, the enemy of our Lord who seeks like a roaring lion to destroy us. And this is who we're fighting. You know, I heard... <laughs> I'm just going to think about this. I heard a missionary once who was talking. This is when I was younger. He was talking about he was working in Mexico and all these different things they were doing and how they would do such, such great things for the Lord. And then the devil would come in and just these horrible stories of terrible things that had happened. And in the middle of that, he just was kind of overcome with emotion. He's like, he's like, that's why we hate the devil. And I was sitting in my car listening to this. And I was like, as a younger person, I was like, huh. I mean, I, I don't have a problem. With, I, of course, I don't have a problem with somebody saying they hate the devil, you know. But I was like, gosh, I don't know. If, like, he was overcome with emotion. Obviously, he'd been through a lot, all right. But I couldn't connect. Like, I was trying to connect the dots. Like, I want to hate the enemy. I want to hate the devil. But I just couldn't quite put the pieces together. I could do it in my mind. Like, yes, God is good. Devil is bad. So I'll hate the devil. Sure, I could make that work like a simple, you know, but the emotion, I didn't have it there. It was just not, you know, and I was like, God, if I'm off on this, or, you know, it was just one of those weird things that stuck with me. And then over the years, I would watch, you know, as we're living our lives and then, you know, the enemy screws up, you know, I've learned to hate the devil now. <laughs> and it feels very different than hating other people. Okay, I'm going to tell you that right now. Because oftentimes we want to conflate the two. It's very easy to hate other people, okay? And that's not what, what Jesus is calling us to do. But he is calling us to hate the devil. So, because if our culture is forming us to create enemies and then hate them. And by enemies, I mean other people, not the enemy of the Lord, Satan, but other people are now our enemies, and we should hate them. And we should feel we're right to hate them because they're bad. You see, this is the world we're living in. I mean, 
if you all disagree, somebody <laughs> raise your hand. But I mean, it seems to me like, you know, we're right, they're wrong, they're bad, they're to be hated or despised. And then you have this problem because Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43 through 48, which I think I forgot to put in there, but I can just read it to you. This is Jesus talking, all right? He said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what Juan just said. Like, this is what you hear people say. You should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus says to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sins rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? Tax collector means bad guy. So he's saying if you only love people who love you, you're just doing the same thing as the bad guys, like the, the godfather, the mob people. Like you're just like them. You know, they got kids too. They love them, whatever. You know, you're the same as them. And if you greet only your brothers, what more, do you, what more are you doing? Okay. <laughs> and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? <laughs> Sorry, when I read that the first time, it kind of sounded like a Dr. Seuss book or something. <laughs> threw me off. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Again, Gentiles here being not good, you know. So Jesus is calling us to love our enemies, these other people, and he's calling us to be warriors and fight. And how do we make these two things go together? Well, again, in Ephesians 4, Paul kind of addresses some of this. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord. Now, this is an interesting terminology, which we're jumping right into. But he's talking about us, as say, people who are free. He's describing that as being a prisoner of the Lord. And I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So that's just a lot of things swirling in our heads. So, okay, we're supposed to be warriors. We're supposed to fight. We're supposed to fight our battles, just like that song just said. This is how we fight our battles. We're ready to fight, and I'm ready to do that. And like I said, that's, that's kind of my normal place of being. Like, I'm ready to do that. The two people in the Bible I like the most are definitely, you know, or not, I don't like them more than Jesus. You know what I'm trying to say. The people I resonate with are, are warriors. I totally get that. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. There's one thing. But then you run into the, then if I just move with that, I start to do things that tend to not, jive with these other scriptures I just read about loving, other, loving my enemies and being, trying to keep the spirit of unity and being gentle and patient. I'm like, yes, yeah, it's just easier for me to just hate them and then I can do whatever I want. Maybe you're the same. And you may have even heard of a term like, um, have you ever heard of a culture war, Christian culture war? This is something the church is engaged in a lot. And culture war is a, Cultural conflict between social groups and a struggle for dominance of their values, beliefs, and practices. Now, this is a delicate and difficult subject because that's just a term people have applied to the types of things that we do. So, struggling for dominance of values is sometimes necessary. Like, if you look in the past, like in our country, for example, the abolition of slavery, and if you wanted to call that a culture war, it was absolutely necessary for the Christian people to engage, and it was mostly led by Christian people from mostly a Christian perspective fighting because of their faith to do this. It was also heavily resisted mostly by Christian people. For, so it's complicated. Do you see what I'm saying? 
who are wrong in that case, I think. But um, so I'm not so that we have to be engaging in our culture, but a culture world just str- just struggling for the value, the dominance of our values. If that's all we're doing, I don't think this is it. I don't think this is what God is calling us to do. There's times when we are going to be called to fight in an area that other people might call a culture war. But how we do that and why we're doing that and what exactly we're doing need to be right if we're going to be able to stand before the Lord faithfully and also represent Him clearly to the world. That doesn't mean they'll like you. It doesn't mean it'll be easy. It'll certainly be difficult, and most people probably won't like you in the greater culture or whatever. But your heart and why you're doing it and what you're doing and being able to hear Jesus clearly in that moment is very key for us to be faithful witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? So just hear me when I'm saying that. So how do we fight like Jesus, and what does that look like? We're going to go back and look at Joshua really quick, just really quick, because I want to use that as a guide. This is something that I always keep going. I go back to this. There's going to be times, like when you hear me now preaching more frequently, this is going to come up again. It's come up before. I've shared some of this here before, and I'll share it again, because it's like the same story God says so many different things through. You know, the, the, the scriptures, you know, you listen to them, there are these stories that tell stories about what God has done, and, you, and it's like the Old Testament is so full of remember, remember, remember. And part of that remembering is so you actually just remember, and then also so that you can see how God is still doing the same thing. And so you can see him moving in your life the same sort of way, and you can see the patterns of what God is doing and that sort of thing. We have Joshua is leading the Hebrew people. He's finishing this job. Moses has set, helped. They've set the people free. They've come out of Egypt from slavery. They're moving towards the promised land that God has promised. And then they get stuck and they have to wander for 40 years because they're disobedient and stuff. And they're finally going through. And they've marched across the Jordan River and God has kind of parted that the exact same way he parted the Red Sea, meaning God has done a miracle to get them into this. So they're camped now. They've celebrated the Passover. They're checking the circumcision thing to make sure they're good because God tells them to. And... Now it's time to go into the promised land, and there's a gigantic city in the way, Jericho, that has walls. That's in, and it's by the culture and by the world standards, it's impenetrable. And he has some guys to fight, but not quite. Like, they don't have what they can. They don't have what it takes to deal with this. They're they're sitting here going, okay, you know. And so we find him at this moment where in Joshua, let me see what it says, five thirteen through fifteen. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he's near the city. He looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Take off your sandals, for the place you're standing is holy. It's just the same thing that happens with Moses in the burning bush. God is saying, this is a holy moment, and you take your shoes off, and he does. And this is where God gives him the instructions of what he needs to do. And so, a couple points here. Jericho is his enemy. This is, a, this is actually something God is calling him to do. He's moving in faithfulness. God has literally prophesied things over him 
you know, as you do these things, I will be with you and I'm going to take care of all this business. And da -da -da. I mean, you can go read it earlier in Joshua 1 and 2 and this sort of thing. There's like these proclamations of what they're going to do. And, and with all of that being the case, there's still this city there. The world is resisting it. And how is he supposed to deal with this? He does not have the means. And so he's near the problem. And, he, and I, I think about like when he says looking up, I think of him like he's able to look up at the city and go, there's nothing I can do about this. There's like, and, and being, he's near the problem. Like, so we're so near our problems, or as a church, we're near our cultural problems. We're among them. We're right there as part of it. It's our country, or it's our city, or it's our family, or it's our whatever. You know, we're there. And we look up and we see it the whole time. But when Joshua looks up, he sees the commander of the army of the Lord. And we've used this term before. This is a Christophany. This is an appearance of Jesus before his embodiment in the, the New Testament when he was born. There's a couple examples of this where Jesus pops in in a kind of pre-bodily form. Or the the, the uh, theologians call it a Christophany. And you see this because he says he's a commander of the armies of the Lord, and that's who Jesus is in Revelation 19. And also, there's a couple other tricks that, or tricks, <laughs> there's a couple other um, clues here, is that he falls, Joshua falls down to worship him, and like, when they do that to Peter in Acts 10, Peter's like, whoa, whoa, whoa don't, don't worship me. I'm, a, I'm just a guy like you are, so stop that. And even when John does it in Revelation, like in Revelation 22, the angel's like, get up. I'm just an angel. Like, you don't worship me. You know, this commander of the army of the Lord says, take off your shoes. This is a holy place. And he lets him do it. So it's an indication of who he's talking to. So this is Jesus showing up. So here we are in our problem. We're among our problem. We're among our enemy, the ones we have to remove or whatever it is. And then Jesus is here. And oftentimes, I think, we're stuck in that exact same moment where we have, our eyes are on the problem, or we're near the problem, and so many of us don't look up and see Jesus, we just look up and see the problem. Or we look up and see the enemy, in this case. And the reason that matters is not that the enemy is not there, it is there. It is there. It is there. Jesus is also there, okay? And if we keep our eyes on the enemy, whatever the enemy is, it keeps us in a certain framework of, I have to deal with this. This is something, again, God has called me to deal with this. I have to deal with this. I have to take care of it. I don't know how I'm going to take care of it, but this is something I have to do. Meanwhile, Jesus shows up. And because I'm so distracted by the problem, I go, are you for me or them? Like, I just need to know what's going on here. And Jesus says back, no. Now, I don't know if you've been like me, but there's times in our latest culture situations where there's been lots of situations where I feel like I need to pick a side or something like that. And so if I'm on a side, well, and then I encounter the spirit of the Lord moving in my life somewhere, I'm like, well, are you for me or them? And then God's like, no, I'm for myself. <laughs> you can be for me if you want, but that's a different situation. When, G when Jesus says back, no, and we've covered this before, and again, this, this is a recap, so it's, but it's helpful. There are, inside that no, three no's um, that he's saying. The first one is this, no, this is not your idea. And he's saying, and what that means is that, like, so he's, are, are, you, are you for me or are you for them, God? He's like, no, this isn't, this isn't your thing. This isn't your battle. This is my battle. I care about this way more than you do. Whatever this culture war is or whatever this issue is, I care about it way more than you do. Way more. 
infinitely more. And only I can take care of this. Because the second no is this. No, you, you can't do this yourself. Like, when you're looking up at this thing, of course, you can't do anything. You've got a few guys, they got the city. You can't do anything about it. So, no, you don't have the means to deal with this. It's not your thing. It's my thing. And only I can deal with it. You don't have anything to deal with this. And then the last thing is very important for us as Americans. This is probably where we would struggle the most, okay? No. It's not to your glory. God alone is God, and you are not in charge. So there's three no's. He's like, are you on my side, or are you on their side? He's like, no, this isn't your idea. No, you can't do this, and no, it's not going to be your glory. It's mine. This is God talking now. Joshua gets the message, and he bounces. He's like, whoa, you know. What do you have me to do? Which is the right spot response. He takes his eyes off the enemy and puts them on Jesus. When his eyes are on Jesus and not the enemy, now he's ready to engage. When his eyes are on the enemy but talking to Jesus, are you for me or them? You know, no. Look here. <laughs> now we can deal with this while you look at me because I'm the only one who can deal with it. So, what does God tell him to do? He's a, this is a warrior now. This is a guy who's fought battles and won. He's, fight, he's a lot more battles to fight in the more traditional sense of battles. This is how he fights his battles. This guy's got a sword and he's out there doing it, all right? And then he's got this, this situation, which is immovable, difficult, and not, not something he's, you know... God steps in. Here's what we're going to do, okay? He gives him a plan. He says, take that ark of my presence that we talked about last week, march around the city six days. And then on the seventh day, do it again. And at this key moment, I want you all to blow the horns and shout, and then the walls will fall down. Now, you and I read that in the Bible and go, yeah, okay, Bible stuff, cool, whatever. But, like, think you're the, you're the guy now who's got to go tell everybody that. <laughs> Guys, I got a plan. <laughs> now, you might go, everybody's pretty good with that. I mean, God just parted the, 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 you know, the river and all. I mean, sure, okay, but this is different, you know. And especially now, hear me out on this. Parting rivers is God business. It's very clear. Like, that's not something that we think about. You know, like, well, don't worry, I'll get that. I mean, we do build dams and stuff. But what I'm trying to say is that, like, when they're, when they're trapped, when, when the Israelites are leaving Egypt and they're trapped between the sea and Pharaoh's army, which is an army they can't beat at the time, and they're like, well, God, what are you going to do about this? And he's like, I'll just, I'll just part the ocean. You can just walk through the sea here. That's not something we would have thought of. This is, but this is not something that's even on the radar. This is just God doing God's stuff, you know. But then we go in and we do some battles, and we battle, and we win, and we battle, and da-da-da, you know. So now we got a battle we got to deal with, and God gives us this kind of plan. It's not a battle plan. It's not just hold the stick and, the, you know, keep the stick up and we win kind of plan. It's like, no, like, what are we doing? We're not fighting anybody? We're shouting? I don't understand, you know. Like, if God just did it in a God way, again, like, this is, what I'm trying to say is there's human involvement 
in all of these battles. And there is human involvement in the, he's like, step into the river and I'll, you know, pile it up and all this kind of stuff. So it does take the step. But you're talking to a commander here who's ready to fight people. And he's telling him, don't fight them like you want to. Do it this way, which is different. And here's the thing. When God gives us a plan, there's a good chance, or there's at least a possibility, based on a story like this, that this could, um, in our framework, make us look foolish. Because he's got to go back to his battle-hardened guys that are probably charged up right now to go take the city. He's like, okay, we are going to, in fact. (laughs) I know we're going to win. Good news. (laughs) Here's how we're going to do it. And they go, that's not what? You know? But you got to keep in mind, this is not your idea. This is not something you can do yourself. So you go charge in there, you're, gonna, you're not going to win. But if you do it my way, you will win, but it's going to be my glory. And so you see this thing God gives him, and he gives us a plan to engage and destroy the works of the enemy in our culture and in our lives and in our families and all these kinds of things. But they're often not the kinds of things we would think of. And his... Our culture's preoccupation with the kind of, again, social media self-defensing, i got to make sure I look good, got to make sure things are sounding good or I'm impressive or whatever all that stuff is, keeping up with the Joneses, we call it. God might not care about all of that. I mean, he cares about it because you care about it. Like, he cares about you. But, like, <laughs> you go, but God, I'll look foolish. It is like, and? Like, <laughs> this is not what I'm worried about here. I thought you wanted to win, you know? And so I think that it requires quite a bit of courage, maybe I would even say quite a bit more courage, to follow God's plans in these kinds of difficult areas, especially if they make us look foolish, than it just is to just, in our context, charge headstrong into something that he hasn't called us to do. And that's a difficult thing to discern. So what do you see when you look up? When Joshua looked up, he saw Jesus. Some of us are still looking at, when we look up, we see our enemies, we see our problems. But the main thing I want to say to this is, is something we have to just drive home. Two main things. In order to be ready to fight battles on God's terms, Our eyes have to be fixed only on Jesus. Only then are we ready. If we're fixed on the problem, we're not ready. If we're fixed on Jesus, we're ready. I don't mean fixed on the problem, but Jesus is here. We're not ready. We have to be fixed on Jesus and ready to do what he calls us to do, no matter what it is, not fixed on the problem. Not denying the problem. This is the thing. You don't have to like, again, this is not like a sides thing either. It's like, the problem is real. It's there. There's no, like, why pretend like it doesn't exist? That's just lying to yourself. Or, I don't know. The problem is real. And Jesus is real. Jesus is the one who can deal with the problem. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus. But when you think about the problem or the enemy, you need to read these words again. This is, again, Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and mighty in his, and in his mighty power. His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. Like I said, it's real, all right? But this is the piece that's key 
For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. What do you think that means? Somebody say. Flesh and blood. People. People. Our battle is not against people. Our battle is not against people. These people are lost. These people are broken. These people need Jesus. Some of these people who think they're acting in the name of Jesus need to see him again. Their battle is not against them. The world is going to tell you over and over and over, your battle is against people. You should hate other people. You should despise other people. And it is not of God to do this. We are to love them. Our battle is not, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is where our battle is to be fought. And this is how we fight our battles. But we need the full armor of God. This is not a passive faith, guys, because we're going to have to engage. But we have to engage on God's terms, and we need to be ready to do so. Because it's easy. It's really easy to slip into this, you know, purely culture war thing, where all I'm doing is fighting for the dominance of my values regardless of Jesus' involvement in it or not, regardless if it's based off anything I think Jesus said, it has to be his battle on his terms. And it's not against flesh and blood. And so I have a song I want to play at the end. I was going to play it my own. Oh, it's kind of, <laughs> sometimes you're like, well, how do y'all pick some of the songs you play? Well, um, oftentimes it's prayer and, you know, led by the Lord and all that kind of thing. And sometimes, like this week, it's just we got in our car and my iPhone randomly chose this song to play. (laughs) Sometimes my phone, I think, goes, you haven't listened to this in a while, (sighs) you know. And I hadn't. (laughs) And this is from an old CD I bought years ago um, by a guy named Eddie James covering a song, an old passion song by a guy named Charlie Hall called Famous One. And every time I listen to this recording of this song, I get like chill bumps and stuff because it says so clearly to me, you are the Lord, the famous one, and great is your name in all the earth. Not mine. This isn't my battle. I don't have to get so worked up about it because you are. (laughs) And I can just side with you and let you lead as we fight through these things. So I thought I would take it and I would, you know, maybe I'll play it. And I was like, no, I'm just going to play this recording. And I was like, well, okay, I'll make a video so they'll have something to look at. And then it just dawned on me. It's like, no, you need to take this minute. And this is not a short, totally short recording. It's, it's kind of, it's like seven minutes long. I'm going to play all of it. And I want us to take full seven minutes here to reflect before the Lord to what he's calling us to. Because we need sort of a reset as a church. And I mean the church in our country. We've been caught up in some weird cultural stuff for a long time. And we need a reset to know what we're even here to do. Because we aren't supposed to be passive. We're not just supposed to stick our heads in the sand. We're not supposed to run away and cower. We're supposed to engage and engage valiantly in Jesus' name. But on his terms and in his way. And the only way I can see to do that is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So I always want you to close your eyes and listen to this song or prayer. You know, if you need to come forward and lay some things before the Lord at the altar, that's always available. 
Um, but I just want us to use this time to reflect um, on our own lives and what God is doing. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to us. Speak to us individually. We've listened now to this message corporately. But, God, I pray that during this song, you would help us to turn our eyes. We've, we, now we're at Jericho. We're at the problem. We know what it is. We see it. But help us to look up and see you, the famous one, and what you would show us, Lord. And we thank you that my phone chose to play this song. And we pray that you would bless it and bless our hearing of it in Jesus' name.